the last few Sundays, we've been looking at uh, verses in the Bible that talk about the second coming of Jesus. We're going to get back into the Gospel of Mark today, though, but let me just uh, conclude that let the thoughts about the, the series with the last few verses in Mark chapter 13, uh, beginning of verse 32. In Mark 13, all of chapter 13 in Mark is about the second coming of Jesus. It's about the coming destruction of Jerusalem and then the long period of time that we didn't know how long it'll be and that there'd be wars and, and uh, conflict and so forth. And then there would be the, the catching away of the church, the rise of the Antichrist and so forth. All that we've talked about. But uh, so many questions that people ask me you know, about, well, well when's this going to happen? <clears throat> well, Jesus says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son, but only the Father. So when somebody says they know when Jesus is coming back, you know that they don't know because Jesus said nobody knows. That this is uh, information relegated to deity, not to humanity. And then he says in verse 33, be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. I think if Jesus had told us, you know, when he was going to come, a lot of people would have lived their life in such a way and then tried to just get everything straightened up just two days before he showed up, you know. So the idea is we don't know when he's coming, so live as if every day was the day that he would come. And so that's his, his point here is uh, nobody knows, so just stay awake. Be on guard. Be ready at any time. You do not know when the time will come. Then he says it's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and he commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. In other words, he says, I'm going to be coming back. But here's everybody's responsibility while I'm gone. <clears throat> and the doorkeeper, he says, you're to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come. In the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning. Lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all. Stay awake. Stay awake. So that's, uh, that's just kind of the summary of his teaching on the second coming. He gives a lot of information, a lot of general principles and things like that. But he said, here's, here's the bottom line of all of it. Just be ready at any time. Stay awake. Be prepared because Jesus is coming again. A young man asked me this last week. For, Tell me more about what, what do you believe about the second coming? And I said, well... I believe a lot of things about the second coming, but here's the main thing. He is coming. He's coming again. And it could be today. He could come today for his church. We don't know. But, uh, but we want to live every day as if this were the day. So that's, that's kind of the summary or the conclusion to Jesus' teaching on his return. But now I want us to go to the next chapter in the Gospel of Mark. And this uh, is going to relate to us uh, a very, very interesting story. 
Uh, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. In fact, it's told in all four of the Gospels. There are not many things that are in all four of the Gospels, but this is one of them that is. And it says in verse, well, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 14, just kind of give us a little bit of kind of background information. It says that uh, uh, two days before Passover, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had all come together, and they were trying to decide they wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to know, how can we get rid of him? How can we kill him? And they said, well, let's, let's don't do it during the Passover because uh, uh, that might uh, put those verses up there if you don't mind. That's uh, chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. It's two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and to kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. So uh, these, are, these are people, they're plotting, they're planning. They said, we're going to kill Jesus. They don't want to just arrest him. They don't want to just drive him out of town. They want him dead. And uh, so verse 3 is where I want us to pick up today. While Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. It's a spike nard. It's a very, very, very costly uh, uh, perfume or ointment that comes from northern India. Very costly. And she broke the flask and she poured it over his head. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. By the way, 300 denarii is approximately $35,000. So this was a very, when it says very costly, this was worth almost a year of of a workman's wages. This ointment could have been sold for $35,000 and given to the poor. And they scolded this woman. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you that wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are today, remembering that act of love. He says that wherever the gospel is preached throughout the whole world, what this woman has done for me, will be remembered and will be talked about. And we're doing that here today. Now, the Gospel of John tells us who this woman was. Uh, it was Mary, the, the sister of Martha and the sister of Lazarus. Jesus has just recently, just a few days before this, has raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, John gives us the account of that, tells how that Lazarus had been dead for three days. On the fourth day, he'd been dead for four days. And Jesus comes and says, roll the stone away. And uh, Mary and Martha both 
had gone out to meet Jesus. And they said, Jesus, if you'd have just come sooner, if you'd have just been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus said, look, I'm here now. So roll the stone away and you'll see the glory of God. And they do roll the stone away, much to their objection at first. And then Jesus, just with a loud voice, said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of the grave. And then Jesus said to Mary and Martha, Now unwrap him, that is, take all the grave clothes off of him and let him go free. And they do. So this has just happened, just maybe a couple of days before. And Jesus is still in the town of Bethany. Bethany is just a couple of miles southeast of Jerusalem. And so it's just an easy walk between Jerusalem and Bethany. And so there in Bethany, that's where Jesus would go. That was his go-to place. When he was in the area, he would always go and stay in the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, these two sisters and this brother. And we don't know much about them. We don't know really uh, their ages or anything. Uh, when you think of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, about what ages do you think of? Do I, what what? What do you think of? Middle age, elderly, uh, what? What? Middle age. Okay. I just was thinking this last week. It's very possible since none of them were married, it's very possible that they were very young. It might even be that Mary and Martha were in their early 20s and that uh, Lazarus might have even been 17 or 18. He's uh, obviously the the... Martha is always listed first, and then Mary, and then Lazarus. So he was the younger brother. So uh, we don't know if their parents had all uh, had both died or what. We, just, we don't know a lot about it, so it's just all conjecture. But my thinking is that maybe they were younger and uh, that's, that they hadn't, hadn't married yet. And then uh, they were kind of taking the, the two mother hens here, taking care of little brother Lazarus, you know, and he might have been 18, 19 years old. And now he may have been older. Again, this is just, again, conjecture on my part. And, uh, and that may be why they were so distraught when he got sick and when he died, is that he's their younger brother. Now, they may have been in their 30s or 40s. I don't know. I've, I've, always, I've always thought of them as older. But just this week, as I've done some study on it, I... There are several people who indicate that maybe they were just not uh, married yet. And uh, so anyway, I don't know that that really matters. But Jesus raised Lazarus from the, from the dead. And Mary and Martha were absolutely overwhelmed. What, what in the world would you want to do? What would you want to give to somebody who had raised your brother from the dead? <laughs> You just, you'd want to do anything, everything. And uh, so uh, Mary had this flask of very, very expensive uh, spike nard, or it's just called pure nard. It's a, in fact, I, I went online to just see what it would cost to buy some nard today. It's still very expensive today. And even the diluted kind is very expensive. But uh, to buy pure nard, it's very, very expensive. Even more so in that day. It was, uh, 
It was a perfume. It was a very, very aromatic uh, uh, ointment. And just a drop or two could just fill uh, an area with the fragrance of it. It was also used when somebody died. You would coat the body with it to help prevent the smell of decay as the body would decompose that the nard would kind of cover the smell of death and the smell of decomposition. So where she, had, where she got this, it may have been a, uh, a, a gift from her parents who had passed away, or I don't know where she got it. But she had, it was the greatest treasure that she had. And it was this flask of this ointment. The Bible says in John's Gospel that it was about a quart of it. So it's very, it's a lot. And uh, she came while Jesus was eating with Simon the leper. Now Jesus healed many lepers in his ministry. And so obviously this man, Simon, who lived in Bethany, same place that Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, and Jesus had been invited to his home. He had healed this man of his leprosy, or otherwise he couldn't have been having guests over. And uh, Jesus had gone there for a dinner. And uh, in those days, they didn't have tables and chairs like we have today. They had very short tables, just about... uh, 10 inches high or 12 inches high and they would lie down on their side and have a pillow and prop up on their left elbow and they would have their face near the table. I was going to try to demonstrate today but I thought well somebody would have to come help me up. Uh, but, uh, But they would lie there and eat. And this is the way they actually were at the Lord's Supper, you know, the the Last Supper. We uh, we usually think of the Leonardo da Vinci painting where it's all they're all a big long table. That wasn't the way it was at all. And uh, so uh, there, Jesus is lying there, and his feet are extended back behind him. And into the room comes Mary. And she comes in with this most treasured possession that she has. This flask, this bottle of pure nard. And she comes, and rather than just taking the top of it off and putting a few drops, she broke the bottle, broke the neck off the flask, and she began to pour. Now, we're told in John's gospel that first she anointed his feet Here he is lying down. His feet are extended back behind him. And she comes. She begins to pour this ointment on his feet, which was the work of a servant, actually, to anoint people's, uh, to wash people's feet. But she didn't just wash his feet. She anointed them. And then it says that she took her hair and she began to dry his feet with her hair, began to... uh, wipe this ointment off her hair. But then Mark tells us that she moved on up and she poured the rest of it out on his head. She anointed his head with this ointment. And as she did, the whole room was just suddenly exploded with the aroma, this sweet-smelling aroma of 
this uh, ointment. And uh, as I was thinking about that this week, one of the thoughts that came to me is that love likes to be lavish. You know that? When you really, really love somebody, you don't want to do just as little as you can. You want to do all that you can. When you love somebody, love likes to be lavish, uh, extravagant, extravagant. And uh, when we love the Lord, and by the way, that's the greatest commandment, isn't it? Love the Lord with some of your heart, right? No, all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your strength, all of your heart, all of your soul. Love the Lord. And there's good reason to love him, isn't it? There's good reason for uh, Mary to love him. He had obviously established a great faith relationship for her. And she was trusting in God and, and, and she had a sense of knowing that she herself had been forgiven and saved. But then he had also raised her brother from the dead. She is just overflowing with gratitude and love and appreciation. And she says, what, what can I do? What can I give? What, how can I show him how much I love him? And then she remembers this flask of nard that maybe she had been saving it since she was a little girl or maybe since, uh, or maybe it had been given to her. I, I don't know. But she says, what can I do with it? It's the most valuable thing that I have. I know. I'll, I'll put some of it on him. But then when she gets in there, just becomes overwhelmed with her love for him. She said, no, I don't want to give him part of it. I don't want to put a few drops I'm going to break the bottle and pour it all out for him. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Lavish expression of love and gratefulness. And one other thought that I had was that love does something. Love acts. She could have said, Jesus, I love you. And that would have been wonderful. And it would have been true. But to demonstrate her love, she wanted to do something. And love is more than just a word. Love is more than just a feeling. Love is an action. Love does. If I say to my wife, honey, I really love you, but I don't do anything for her. I don't help her with anything. I don't serve her. In fact, Say I could say I love her, but maybe I was harsh to her. Maybe I yelled at her. Maybe I scolded her all the time. Maybe I, maybe I, I pushed her away, didn't want to have anything to do with her. And I say, but I love you. Would you believe that? Probably not. No, love doesn't just talk. Love doesn't just feel. Love acts. And this woman came and she said, Jesus, I love you. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to take the most expensive thing that I have, the greatest treasure of my life, 
And I'm, I'm not going to just put a few drops. I'm going to break the bottle and pour it all out for you. It's a beautiful expression of love. This flask represented her life. It represented her past. It represented her present. It represented her future. It represented her whole life. And she says, I am going to, like this flask, I want my life to be broken before you. You know, Jesus really loves broken things. What do we do with broken things? We usually throw them out, don't we? Jesus, a little boy, brought his lunch to Jesus one time, and the Bible says in Jesus took the fish and the bread and he broke it. He broke it. And here she brought this flask and she broke it. Jesus loves broken things, but he especially loves broken hearts, broken lives. When we're willing to say, Jesus, I want to be broken and poured out for you. Broken and poured out. So she... uh, she came and brought this flask and broke it and poured it all out. But here's an amazing thing. When you live a life of extravagant love for Jesus, you can expect two things. One is you can expect some people will object. Some people will say, What a waste. What a waste. I was preaching a revival meeting in uh, Memphis, Tennessee at Eudora Baptist Church. In fact, that was before Carol and I were even married. She was there with us, but uh, with me, but uh, so it was a long time ago. And I preached one night to the young people about what are you going to do with your life? And are you going to live it selfishly? Are you going to live it as a, an offering, a gift to God? And that night, a young girl, about 17 years old, came forward here in the invitation, and she said, I want to be a missionary. I believe tonight God is telling me. She was a beautiful girl and from a wealthy family, and I had a very sophisticated mother. And while she was there saying she wanted to be a missionary, her mother came down the aisle. And I thought, well, maybe she's won't be a missionary too. But her mother came to where I was talking to this girl, and she said, "What what's she saying to you?" That's an unusual thing. And I said, "Well, she's saying she wants to be a missionary." And the mother grabbed that girl by the arms. She said, "You go get back in your seat." She said, "I'm not going to have you wasting your life on some in some foreign land." where you'll never meet your potential or something like that. And she kind of dragged that girl back to her seat. And I stood there thinking, what a waste. That's a waste. Now that mother was saying, you're not going to waste your life by pouring it out for Jesus to people around the world. You're going to become a dress designer, a fashion designer, and you're going to marry some wealthy guy, 
and y'all are going to have a family in upper middle class America and you're going to live a life of ordinary people. And I'm telling you, that is a waste. That's a waste. When this girl says, God has put it on my heart to pour my life out in service to Jesus and in service to others. And her mother says, that's a waste. And I'm telling you, nothing that we do for Jesus extravagantly is a waste. Jesus said, whoever saves his life, that is whoever keeps it, whoever keeps, 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 he's ultimately going to lose it. But whoever loses his life, gives his life for my sake and the gospel, he will have it forever. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on this earth where moth and rust and thieves can get it. But he said, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And he's not talking about just money here. It applies to money, but but it applies to life. What are you giving your life for? What are you pouring your life into? And you can pour your life into stuff, uh, temporary stuff, and you're going to lose it all. Eventually, you'll lose it all. I've, uh, my wife and I have been to three funerals this week and uh, funerals are very very sobering times aren't they and the older I get the more sobering they become because so many of these people are about my age you're a little bit older than me and uh, thinking you know everything I treasure here on earth I'm going to leave it behind. I won't have it in 50 years. Probably a lot sooner than that. But everything that I extravagantly give to Jesus, I'll never lose it. And it was Jim Elliott who said, a man is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to have what he cannot lose. And that's true. What, do you, what will you do with your life? Not just your, you know, talk to these young people and say, what will you do with your life? What's your life going to be? But, I, but talking to, to me and to you, what will you do with today? What will you do with this week, this month? These are treasures and we can pour them out in love for Jesus or we can keep it and use it for our own self. And Jesus said, whatever you keep, you'll ultimately lose. But whatever you lose for my sake and for the kingdom, you'll keep, you'll have it forever. So some will object. But then Jesus defends the woman. I love it. Jesus said, leave her alone. 
And by the way, you may have some people who will object. But you can just know that Jesus is saying, hey, thumbs up to you. Leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing. What she did, he said, is a beautiful thing. And sometimes what looks wasteful to others looks beautiful to heaven. And then he said she, she did what she could. It's interesting. You know, a lot of times people say, man, if I, if I had money, I'd do this, I'd do that. I'd, I'd give to this mission. I'd, I'd support this. I'd, you know. Well, what are you doing with the $10 that you have? Because what you're doing with what you have is probably what you would do with what you wish you had if you had it. And if you're not taking what you do have and using it for the Lord, you probably wouldn't use it, do it if you had ten times that much. Jesus said she did what she could. That's all he asked many of us. He doesn't ask us to do what we can't. He just asks us, do what you can. With what you have, do what you can. And Jesus said she is actually preparing my body for burial. Jesus has been saying repeatedly to his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified and be buried, and then I'll be raised on the third day. You know, when he was crucified, he was taken down off the cross, and it was so quick, they just had to get him in the grave so quickly. They did not have time to properly anoint his body. And Jesus said, this woman is doing for me what you will not be able to do when the time comes. Isn't that amazing? She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. She understood. I don't know whether she really understood that he was going to die on the cross. and It may not have been her intention to anoint him for burial. But Jesus said that's what she has done. And he said, wherever this gospel is preached... All the way to Glen Heights, Texas on July the 15th, 2018. Wherever my story is told, they're going to talk about this woman, Mary, and what she did. Because what we do out of extravagant love for Jesus is never, ever forgotten in heaven's annals. It's always remembered. So here's the question. Just conclude with this. Uh, what is your treasure? What do you have? You say, well, I don't, I don't have a flask of pure nard. I don't have any nard at all. But that's not the question. Not whether you have nard. It's what do you have? He says, well, I... I have some health. I have some money. I have a job. I have some friends. I have family. I have a car. I have a house. Well, Jesus says, will you use what you have in love to me and in service to me? Will you pour out your life 
And when you do, Jesus says, there will be a sweet smell that pervades the whole place. Now, we may not be able to smell it, but I guarantee you Jesus smells it. So whatever you have, whatever you have, can you extravagantly pour it out for him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for this act of Mary's devotion. She certainly had great reason to love the Lord Jesus, but no more than we do. We also have great reason to love him. And she brought what she had. And she poured it all out in love for him. I pray that you'll help us to take what we have, to do what we can, and to pour it out in devotion and affection for him. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We invite you to like us on Facebook or visit our website, www.bearcreekbaptist.org. If you're not a member of another church, we would like to invite you to join us in person and get to know us and let us get to know you. Have a great week, and may the Lord richly bless you.